Children, you will notice in the normal spot there in your bulletin the words that you'll be looking for this evening. Those words are distracted and anxious, worry, necessary, listening, God's Word, two words, and Jesus. All right? So those are the words that you're listening for uh, this evening. Uh, I think I can count on two fingers the number of times that I have um, shared anything anecdotal in an introduction or as an illustration um, in a sermon. It's something that I purposefully avoid um, for a number of reasons that that I won't go into this evening, Um, but as you can probably guess, I'm uh, going to tonight, Um, and you're going to see why as we move through the passage, okay? Um, A month ago uh, to this day, actually, um, my blood pressure was uh, 232 over 133, Um, yeah, and um, when I called my doctor to ask what I should do and what that meant, uh, he was with somebody else, so I left a message, and then I called Dr. Tilly. Uh, He's next on the list, and um, Dr. Tilly very calmly, in a calm, calm, reassuring voice said, and you can hear him, I'm sure, yeah, you should probably go to the ER and get that checked, Uh, which I did, and uh, that led to two nine-hour ER stays and then three, or I'm sorry, two days in the hospital, Um, multiple tests. And an eventual diagnosis of uh, hypertension that can be treatable with meds and diet and exercise. And so I've started that. Um, at my follow-up appointment, uh, 10 days later, the doctor, my doctor said something that completely took me off guard. He said, Chris, with the results of all your tests that, that have come back very positive, um, I really think your blood pressure is high due to stress. Uh, I've since found out that there's something genetic about it, but that was his diagnosis. And, and then he said this, um, I really believe the episode that occurred two weeks ago uh, that kind of set all this off was set off by anxiety. I was completely taken aback. Didn't quite know what to do with that, and he could tell, so he said, now, what, what kind of stress, what kind of stressors have you experienced over the last uh, 18 months or so? And um, I'm sitting there just staring at him, and then he says, the stress can be good, the stress can be bad, you know, it, you know he, could, he could tell I'm just really trying to figure this out, right? Um, and so as I look back and I began to think through that, I, a lot had been going on since January of last year. Um, both personally and in the area of ministry, and many of you know uh, that, and so I'm going to spare us the, the list of those things, right, that, that has gone on. Um, but at the time, I wouldn't have said that any of it created so much concern that it occupied my thoughts to the point that I was agitated or distressed. But the more I thought about it, the more I began to realize that I may not have been worried or fearful in, in one sense, I had felt an increase of stress, a stress level 
Um, due to two primary things. The, the first was uh, Wendy and I are in a new stage of life. Um, it, it's, there's been a lot going on in our family, and other than her health, it's, it's all been good. But it was on my mind, and it was affecting me, and I found it was affecting me deeply on, on an emotional level. My kids even joke that I cry easier now than I used to, and you're going to see that in just a minute. Um, <laughs> but the second thing was this self-imposed weight um, of responsibility that I have always placed upon myself to fulfill the call that God has called me to in regards, um, well, in, in regards to being a pastor. Um, to say it's always on my mind would be an understatement. I've always taken very seriously um, the call and, and Paul's words and to both the Thessalonians and the Ephesians to work myself to the point of exhaustion for the souls and, and that He has given me the, to, for the care of the souls and, and to shepherd the flock of God that He's entrusted to me. I've, I've always felt this weight of, of knowing uh, in the words of James and the writer of Hebrews, that I will be judged to greater strictness for how I teach and preach. And I will give an account for how I care for your souls. It's heavy. And so, as a result, I spend a great deal of emotional uh, and, and physical time and energy in order to fulfill those tasks. And over the last 18 months, of course, with everything else going on, it's just added to that. So it's increased that physical and emotional time and energy. And please, please hear me when I say, I enjoy it. It's how I'm wired. I love it. And that weight of, that, that, that weight is, of responsibility is self-imposed. It's not, it's not externally, or it's not coming from the outside. In other words, it doesn't come from you. And I, I, have, um, I have a hard time bragging on you to some of my friends because they can't say the same. And so I want to say that I love you very much for that. This is all my doing. And my transparency is not going to stop there because I need to also confess that having spent time preparing to preach this passage that we're looking at tonight, I believe that self-imposed weight has not always been as noble and as godly as it may sound. Um, as a matter of fact, I believe I can say at times it's been as unhealthy spiritually as it has become physically. Because I have to admit that there are times, though, again, the burden I carry is good. There have been times that I, like Martha, have been distracted by many things. Many of those things are responsibilities. And I have, as a result, at times, over the course of my ministry, neglected that which is necessary. You see, from, apart from the self-pity that we're going to see in just a minute, I identify with Martha. And some of you do too. Uh, and we'll see why in just a minute. Uh, my tendency is to be more like her than Mary. And I confess before you that I have 
have not kept the balance between the two. And some of you may be in that same boat. Not keeping that balance between the two sisters. But fortunately for us, the Lord has been merciful and He's added, you know, He, he, he inspired uh, Luke to include this story in his gospel. Something that none of the other gospel writers did. It's a familiar story. We got two sisters. They both do the right thing. Uh, one gets distracted by many things, and the other does the necessary thing. All right? That's our outline. The right thing, the many things, and the necessary thing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, by your Spirit, would you grant the uh, power, grant power to the preaching of your Word, and grant all of us the ability to appraise and apprehend the truth of this passage tonight. Awaken our attention, convict us and challenge us, and then please refresh us, encourage us, and comfort us. I'm weak and needy and unfit for this task, so I ask for your support and your strength and the filling of your spirit that I might be a pure channel of your grace. Help me to communicate clearly and with fervency and grace for the sake of Christ and his church. Amen. Well, let's begin first in verse 38 at the right thing. The passage begins uh, with the reminder that Jesus and his disciples are on a journey. They're headed to Jerusalem. Christ has set his face toward Jerusalem, going for the sole purpose of dying, to lay himself down on the cross for sinners. And he's resolute in that. He's not going to be persuaded to do otherwise. And it's going to take place in the fullness of time, just as God has predetermined it to take place. And Luke says, as they're going along on this journey, they stop in a village. And he doesn't name the village, but we know that the village is Bethany based upon uh, things that John has said. And when they arrive, they come to this house of a woman named Martha. And when they arrive, well, they've come to do, as they're journeying, the same thing that he had sent the others to do. If you remember at the beginning of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10, first he sent the 12, then he sent the 72, and they were to go and preach that the kingdom of God was near. So Jesus has come with the disciples, they, they approach Martha's door, and they're there to do the same thing, to preach the good news of the kingdom. And verse 38 says that Martha welcomed, her, or welcomed him and them into her home. The word actually means to receive. And that's very important, again, because of what we read at the beginning of chapter 9 and chapter 10 when he sent out the others, because on both occasions, he told them as they went to remember something very important, and that was that the acceptance of the, the messenger marked the acceptance of the message, and the rejection of the messenger marked the rejection of the message. So, we can be confident that Martha's receiving of Jesus into her home and, and, offer, was, and, and offering Him all that she was about to offer Him was fruit of the acceptance, not only of the messenger, but of the message as well. And then Luke paints this picture of Mary, her, her sister, sitting at the feet of Jesus. In verse 39, says she was sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to his teaching. Therefore, again, it's safe to say that when Jesus shows up at the door, both sisters do the right thing 
and receive the Lord Jesus Christ, and not only Him, but His message of the kingdom and salvation. And so what we have is two of the latest uh, disciples of His, two of the newest disciples of His in these two sisters. But from the outset, we see that these two sisters, while both receiving Him, do so and express it in very different ways. And that brings us to the many things in verses 40 and 41. Martha was task-oriented. Right? And many of you have already, just in that statement, identified with her. She was serving through acts of service. She was being a good neighbor, going back to last week. She was being hospitable. She had opened her home. She saw, she was seeing too the needs of Jesus and the disciples. She was preparing a meal for them and doing everything in her power to make sure that she was loving her neighbor well. She was, she was doing everything in a specific way, meeting a specific standard that was probably you know, set by herself. She wanted to attend to every painstaking detail, and she wanted to make sure that she went above and beyond in providing all of the accoutrements that she could. And this busyness was noble, only to a point. Because Romans 12 says that we are to seek to show hospitality. But 1 Peter 4.9 says that we're to show hospitality without grumbling. And that's where Mar uh, Martha fell short. Actually, her grumbling was a symptom of a deeper issue. And apparently, I mean, we can imagine that early, earlier, early on, she and Mary were standing maybe in a doorway, listening to Christ as He, as he spoke and as He taught. And I say that because Luke describes Martha as being distracted. Uh, her attention was drawn away. Uh, actually, the word carries this meaning of being dragged off. So somewhere along the way, she had become, as she's listening, as they're standing there listening, she becomes overly concerned with all that she has to do, the many things that she needed to do for Jesus in order to be as hospitable as possible. And so she was facing a choice, either go and do those things or continue to listen. And she, of course, being who she was, chose to serve. It was her bent. It was her gift. But unfortunately, at some point, self-pity began, uh, began to set in. Because while Martha chose to go and take care of the many tasks that she knew weren't uh, going to get done by themselves, Mary not only didn't go with her, she went in the opposite direction and moved into the room and sat down at the feet of Jesus. A cultural faux pas for a woman at that time. But she wanted to be nearer to him. And of course, as the day went on, Martha probably began to feel more and more and more sorry for herself. Probably upset that she was missing out, angry that Mary wasn't willing to pitch in. And self-pity 
as self-pity does, began to fester under the surface until she couldn't keep it in any longer like, lava, like hot lava below the surface of a volcano that's, already, that's ready to erupt. And, and probably at this peak emotional and physical place, in the strain of the day, Martha walks up to Jesus and she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? And if that weren't bad enough, she then says, tell her to help me. And I think we could, and, and by the way, boys and girls, have any of you ever tattled on your brother or sister? Right, have any of you ever, yeah, uh-huh, we got one that's honest. You go to mom and dad and, and you're going to tattle because you want your brother and sister to get into trouble, don't you? Well, that's what we've got. We've got this sibling rivalry going on. We've got one sister tattling, not just on a mom or dad, but tattling to the Lord to try to get this sister in trouble. And then she has the audacity to tell the Lord what he is supposed to do. And I think we could put it another way. We can hear her saying, here I am doing all the work while Mary simply does nothing. Well, I'm running around giving. She's just sitting. It's wrong. It's not fair. She's just being lazy. This is important to me. Why isn't it, why isn't it important to her? There's so much to do, and I need help if it's going to be done right. And Jesus, you need to tell her to get up and do her part. Again, this is where Martha and I part ways because that's never been an issue. You will always beat me to it. Winnie and I have been on one meal train since we started because you always step up. And I have other examples of that. But fortunately for her, Jesus doesn't respond the same uh, in kind. He's more gentle and compassionate and kind and understanding. Even with her, he does, he does rebuke her, but but again, very gently, and he, and he says, Martha, Martha. You can just imagine the shaking of the head. He says, you are anxious and troubled about too many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. In other words, Martha... You have overly burdened yourself and taken way too much on. You've put way too much pressure on yourself to do too many things, and it's tying you up in knots. I know you want to serve me. I know you want to do something for me. But it shouldn't drive you to a point of being anxious and distressed. Don't you see all of these things, while good and which I appreciate, are ultimately not necessary? Only one thing is necessary. And unfortunately, these many things, these many things upon which you've placed your attention and your energy is, has drawn you away, it's drug you away, you've been dragged away from that necessary thing. And because you've been dragged away, now you're bitter. You're angry. Right? You're condemning your sister. 
You're dissatisfied with me. Mary, Mar- Martha, you just demanded that I do something for you. And what is that one thing? It's what Mary is doing, and I'm not going to make her stop. She needs to do what she's doing. You see, Mary was people-oriented. She served through quality time. She would rather sit and talk and enjoy the company of others uh, than burden herself and busy herself with doing things. So she's going to call for takeout, not cook. She's going to eat on paper plates so that she doesn't have to wash dishes. Right? She's going to go for a walk with her guest to smell the flowers rather than cut them and make a centerpiece. And so her inclination was to not only remain in the room, but again, move closer, to sit at his feet, to listen to what he was saying. Unlike the lawyer, remember the lawyer in last week's pericope whose pride and arrogance caused him to stand and to want to test Jesus and to justify himself, Mary remains childlike, sitting at the feet of the master teacher. And unlike Martha, whose self-pity led her to tell Jesus what to do and to demand that He tell Mary to join her in doing something for Him, Mary simply listens to what Jesus has done for her. And unlike Martha, who was busy preparing what I'm sure was a delicious meal, Mary was enjoying the table that had been set before her and was feasting upon Christ and His Word. You've heard me say this many times, but the Lord, the long-awaited, much-anticipated Messiah, the great warrior king, the one who had come to reign in the hearts and lives of those who would look to Him in faith, the One who had come to reconcile sinners to Himself through the forgiveness of sins, He was there, right there in their midst. He was proclaiming the nearness of the kingdom of God. He was sharing the good news of the gospel. And Mary was hanging on every word. She wanted to hear it all. And Jesus says, what she's doing is enough. He said, he and his word made up the good portion that was necessary. He and his gospel were not just significant, they were sufficient. And Mary could could take Asaph's words from Psalm 73 and make them her own. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire more than you. My flesh and heart may fail me, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 
And Jesus said that that moment and, and what she was hearing and experiencing should not be taken from her. Actually, it could not be taken from her. It would remain. It was the one thing necessary that Mary needed. It was actually the one thing Martha needed and was missing, and it's the one thing you and I need. Sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to his word. So let me ask you a few questions. There are actually several. I'm trying to just see if I can touch on as many as I possibly can here before we make uh, look at some considerations. But let me ask you today, where is your stress level? Is it good stress? Is it bad stress? What burdens are you carrying? Are they good burdens? Are they difficult burdens? What weight of responsibility are you feeling tonight? Is it is it natural responsibility that comes with the different roles that you, uh, that you have and fulfill? Uh, is it self-imposed? Is it externally imposed? Or how about these? Has your service to the Lord pushed out the time you need for Him to serve you? Are you physically and emotionally spent because you've been expending yourself over and over again for the sake of serving others? Is your energy waning and has your ministry at home or at, at, within the context of the local church or maybe in your office, has it become more drudgery than joy? Are you, are you growing disgruntled with and judgmental of others? And are you questioning their motives and their love for the Lord? Have you fallen into a pattern of fault-finding when it comes to lack of ministry involvement from other believers? Or how about these? Do you have trouble saying no and find yourself overextended? Is there not enough time in your day to accomplish all that you desire to accomplish? Do you find yourself living under the constant tyranny of the urgent? Are you living at a pace that seems to be constantly accelerating with foot to the floor? Are you always running on adrenaline? Does your, does your pace reflect the belief that it's better to burn out than to fade away? To quote Neil Young. Are you unable to cease from striving and simply be still? If you, however you answered some of those, again, hopefully touching on maybe all of us somewhere in there, let me offer three things for us to consider, all right? And one is very practical and, and I believe is found here and I believe it, can, it is in the midst of what Jesus is telling Martha, and, it, and the first is this, we cannot do everything. We are unable to do everything. We don't have the time, we don't have the energy. Whether at home, at work, within the covenant community, or ministry within our neighborhoods, again, or at work, at some point, 
We all have to identify and choose between what we can and we cannot do, what we will and what we will not do. Life is not going to automatically fall into, into place, into, nice, into a nice, neat set of priorities that are going to naturally work themselves out. We have to make choices, and the first choice is to acknowledge that we cannot do it all. And the good news is we don't have to. So that's the first. We can't do everything. But here's the second. But one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary, and that one thing supersedes everything else in all areas of life. Listen to this quote from David Gooding. He says, amid all life's duties and necessities, there is one supreme necessity which must always be given priority and which, if circumstances compel us to choose, must be chosen to the exclusion of all others. That supreme necessity is to sit at the Lord's feet and listen to His Word. It ought to be our highest pleasure to sit at His feet and listen to what He says. And there's both, I believe, as I'm working through this this week, there, there, there's a corporate and an individual aspect to this. First, it's the corporate. This gathering tonight, this corporate gathering for worship on the Lord's Day is the primary way that we sit at His feet, listen to His Word, and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Primary. This is why each week, and you heard me uh, earlier, but each week I pray that as we enter this place that we would leave the burdens from the past week and the week to come so that we might not be hindered from receiving or distracted from or pulled away from or drug off in our minds away from what He has for us through word and sacrament. We need this. Each and every week, we don't come to simply hear a TED talk, a motivational talk, or even we don't come for a theological treatise. We come each week to hear from the Lord Jesus. We come to hear a proclamation of His Word. We come to hear it read. We come to hear it proclaimed. And we do that because in the words of question 89 of our confession, the Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effectual means of convicting and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. This is necessary. This is why I put this on. Right? I put this on to hide myself, to to further remove any distractions. This is a reminder that I'm simply an ambassador. And I'm not here to to share my own thoughts or to, to give mere advice or worldly wisdom. I'm here in the authority of the Lord Jesus to to speak on his behalf because it's necessary. We need it.
There's also a personal aspect to this. Our private time with the Lord and in His Word is also necessary. But we must be careful in so doing. And there are three things that that I want to share with you. One is that we must be careful not to turn what is necessary into a duty that we owe to God as if it's just another thing to add to one of our religious to-do lists. It's not what it is. Our time is not something we do for the Lord. It's something that He does for us. Listen to these words from Philip Ryken. He says, we do need time with Jesus, but not if we think of that time as fulfilling our religious obligation. And then he says this, this is fantastic. Jesus is not asking for something more from us. He is asking for less so that He can give us more of Himself. Two, we, those who preach, those of you who, who have the opportunity to preach, those who teach, those who lead small groups, we must all be careful not to conflate our private time with the Lord and our preparation to teach and preach and lead. I'm not saying that it can't involve the same text. I'm simply saying we, we should have a definitive demarcation between that which is personal and that which is preparatory. We need to sit at His feet before we go to teach and preach. And then th- thirdly, and, and this kind of brings in next week as well, but we need to remember that our private t- in our private times with the Lord... We listen as we read His Word. By the Spirit, we're listening to what it is that He is saying. We do not listen as we pray. Scripture does not prescribe listening to a still, small voice as we pray. Listening is only mentioned in the context of God's Word. We listen to His Word, and then we respond in prayer. So we can't do everything. One thing is necessary. And finally, we need the last consideration. We need to consider that the gospel is the cure for all our worries and anxieties. The gospel is the cure. Christ is clear. Uh, We're going to see this coming up in Luke chapter 12. Um, Being anxious. He says being anxious does not add one day to our life. And we could add to that, being anxious does not add one dollar to our bank account. Being anxious uh, does not save anyone from their sin. It's, It's not going, being anxious doesn't keep ourselves or anyone else from illness. Therefore, we need to remember, again, these words from Philip Ryken. He says, his gospel, the Lord's gospel is the cure for our distraction as we are drawn to the beauty of His grace. His peace is the cure for our anxiety as we trust in Him through the worries of life. And then he says this, for every anxiety, God has a promise in the gospel, and we need to recall these promises as we preach the gospel to ourselves. 
And he lists a few examples. He says, if we're worried that we're not going to get what we need, we need to remember God has promised to provide. If we're worried about what people think about us, we need to remember God's promise to accept us in Jesus Christ. If, if we're worried about what will happen or, won't, won't, or what won't happen, he says we need to remember God's promise to love us to the very end. And then I've got a couple I've added. If we're worried that our sin is too great and too shameful and too disgusting and too embarrassing and too damaging and too ir- it's, it's too irreparable and beyond forgiveness, we need to remember that there is no sin so great that it can't be forgiven by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're worried about the salvation of our family members or friends, we need to remember that their salvation is not in our hands, but it's in the hands of a sovereign, gracious, merciful God to whom we should pray This is why Paul encourages us in Philippians 4. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true and whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Brothers and sisters, it's easy, is it not, to become distracted by many things. We are unable to keep our attention for very long. And distraction pulls us away and leads us to things like anxiety and being troubled. So let's always remember to encourage one another in the truth that there is only one thing that is necessary. The choice choice is not whether we're going to be Martha or Mary. We're called to both. We're called to to sit at Jesus' feet and, and listen to Him, and we're called to serve, as we heard last week, and to love our neighbor. So it's not an either or proposition. We're called to do both, but we're to serve like Martha with the heart of Mary. And when we have to decide to eliminate something because we can't do it all. May we always choose to forego anything but Christ and our time with Him because He is the one thing that is necessary. We must spend time with and dwell upon the only one who is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely, and commendable, and excellent, and worthy of praise. And He will guard our hearts and our minds.
Let's pray together.